Hi, I'm Astling and I'm four years old, almost five. I know reading, um, I know numbers, letters, you know, stuff like that. This week, millions of school pupils will make their way to class. Some, like Ashling, for the first time. I'm going to start it in September. It will be my first day. I'm excited. Many won't have been back to school since March. Instead, they'll have been trying to keep up with their lessons through homeschooling. I've been learning at home too. But the new term will come with new challenges. Going back to school in the midst of a global pandemic isn't easy. How will it all work? Uh, I don't know. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, bubbles, fines and face masks. How do we reopen our schools? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In March, as the country went into lockdown, schools closed their gates to all but a few children. The return of pupils, which has already begun in parts of the country and will continue in the coming days, is seen as a national priority. I think the crucial thing is that all pupils get back to school uh, next week and in the succeeding days in the stagger way that, the, that we, we want. One more step towards some form of normality. It's seen as a particularly important move for the pupils themselves. It's absolutely crucial that people understand that. There's far more risk to the well-being of our children from not going to school than there is uh, from, uh, I'm afraid, from the disease. For the class of 2020, the COVID generation, as they've been called, There's a lot of evidence, including from psychiatrists and doctors, that children's physical and mental health has been damaged and will be damaged more if they stay out of school any longer. Sean Griffiths is the Sunday Times Education and Families editor. They've missed months of learning and they have missed, for teenagers especially, growing up alongside their peers, all that development that takes place when you're in your peer group. And some of them we know have had a very difficult time cooped up at home. Maybe they don't have a garden. Maybe their parents are under their own pressures and the atmosphere at home is not great. So I think everybody agrees that for children, it's very important to to get back to school. Have you been able to gauge the mood a bit? Are pupils 
desperate to get back to school or are they quite daunted by the prospect? Yeah, most of the children I've talked to are keen to go back to school. I was talking to some uh, this week who are at Brighton College, which is a private school in Brighton, and um, they were older children, so 16, 17. I'm really happy to come back um, to school just in general after being away for, for so long. And I think lots of the things that I love and want to do are still going to go ahead um, in a responsible way, in a way that is going to protect me and, and my friends and, and people that are vulnerable in our community, but, but in a way that we can get back to some sense of normality. They're actually boarders and they've missed their friends, they've missed all the activities, they've missed that degree of independence you get from living away from home, even in a boarding school. And they were so keen to go back. I've spoken to other parents of younger children who are more anxious. I mean, I spoke to some in Blackpool, for instance, who have had relatives who have been stricken by COVID and know people who have died of COVID-19. And they were much more anxious about sending their children back. There was one mum I talked to whose child has underlying health conditions and she is going to send her child back to his local state primary school, which is a very good primary school. But you could tell she was incredibly anxious about it. Now that the time has come, how does it all actually happen? How do pupils get to school for a start? Because a lot of them won't have used public transport since March, probably. The Secretary of State for Education, Gavin Williamson, has been urging parents wherever possible, if the children are older, to let them walk or cycle to school on their own, if they're younger, to walk or cycle to school with them. If, for instance, uh, a child lives within two miles or less of a school, I think ministers would like families to try and get there by walking or cycling. Otherwise, I mean, I think it's different solutions for different areas. There is talk that there may be more school buses laid on in some places. But again, you'd have to have social distancing on the school bus. So you couldn't put so many children on on the bus. Some children will be using public transport um, and they will have to be wearing face masks when they're on public transport if they're over a certain age. And I think there are some worries about the public transport and whether there's going to be enough capacity. There's some talk that there's a shortage of public buses, thousands more public buses might be needed to get children to school if we can't put so many children on them. So transport seems to me one of those issues that is not completely resolved. I guess also, of course, parents could drive their children to school. And I think that's part of the whole package of things that's going on, is that not only are children going back to school, but I think there's this requirement now for parents to go back to work too. And they go hand in glove, because if children don't go back to school, then parents can't go back to work. I mean, I suppose the staggered times help, but I mean, obviously, it's been a while since I was making my way to school. But my memories of it are that the way to school and the way back is when I can't even imagine social distancing being an issue. That's when everybody gets together and chats, messes around. The idea of people walking around in single file, effectively, at a two-metre distance seems slightly implausible. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. As a parent myself, I think also it's implausible. And given that schools are going to be keeping pupils within bubbles once they're inside the school building, it is one of those questions when they're on the school bus going home or when they're walking home together, will they be mixing with children from other bubbles? I mean, I guess it's all about minimising risk, isn't it? You can't eliminate all risk completely. <laughs> So hello, um, I'm Claire Wagner, I'm the head teacher of the West London Free School uh, in West London. In order to find out more about how schools might operate, the Sunday Times visited the West London Free School to find out how they were preparing for the new school year. 
So this is the pupil entrance. Now before we go in, normally all the pupils come in through this entrance, but our plan is to have some of them come in this entrance, the younger ones, and the older ones are going into the side entrance and we're going to have staggered starts so that they're not all coming in at the same time. Well, I think some schools will be doing temperature checks. Um, and the first thing that the children are going to do is to be brought to the hand sanitising station. And we have several of them around the school, both on this site and in the sixth form building. I think nearly all schools will be requiring them to wash their hands or use a hand sanitizer. And then they stay within their bubbles. The idea is they stay in their bubbles throughout the school day. Now, if you're in a primary school, that's relatively simple. You're in your class of 30 children. Most primary schools will teach that class in the same room with a single teacher. And so all you've got to worry about then is break time and lunch time and going home again, that they don't mix with other bubbles. If you're in a big secondary school, it's much more complicated because the government has said that a bubble can be a year group in a secondary school. So that can be up to 150, even more children in a very large secondary school. And But those children do move around often. They move from a geography lesson to a history lesson. Mm. So some schools are getting the teachers to move around instead of the children. So the children will stay in one room and then the different teachers will come to teach those children for different lessons. Oh, really? So pupils in classes will obviously be within a bubble, but they're not allowed to sort of socialise at break times or lunch times with people outside of their bubble, presumably. That's how it's supposed to work, yes. You're supposed to stay in your bubble right through the day. We've got separation panels here, which are normally open. We're going to keep them completely closed. We've got staggered break and lunch, so that the younger children will be only in here and that the older children will only be in this area here. We've got a courtyard and we've got the hall there and they'll be completely separated as bubbles. So you have lunch with people from your bubble. At break times, you'll play with people in your bubble. And the idea is to stop the bubbles from mixing. In small schools, I think it's possible. I think a lot depends as well on the layout of the school. In older Victorian schools with very narrow corridors and not many exits and entrances. I think it'll be more difficult than in modern buildings. And there are classrooms that have a, a door to the outside as well as a door into the corridor. Or I've been into modern schools like that. And that's much easier, I think, to manage. I mean, that's a, quite a clever way around, I suppose, to stop so many people having to, to rub alongside each other. Exactly. But others are not. And sometimes it's, it's just not possible. I spoke to Steve Chalk, the head of the Oasis Academy Trust, and he said to me, You cannot do art in a science lab yeah. and you can't do maths in the music room. Yeah. So you've got to have those transitions. There are subjects that you have to move into the proper room to do it. If you need a laboratory for a science experiment, then the kids have to go to the laboratory. And that's the logic and the common sense, I'd argue, that led us to say in our secondary schools, we need face masks for all our students mm -hmm. uh, used in a compulsory way at those transition moments and in those shared spaces. So there will be movement around the school and then you've got the one way movement around the corridors, you know, which has been very clearly marked out in schools. And this is where the idea of face masks come in. So last week, Boris Johnson, you turned on the idea of face masks. The government had said in England schools were not being required for pupils or teachers to wear face masks in school. But then just a few days ago, they changed their mind on that after Scotland kind of moved its policy. And so now if you're in a lockdown area, 
pupils and staff will be required to wear face masks in places like corridors where pupils are moving around or in communal areas where you can't maintain social distancing places like canteens, maybe sometimes, you know, small playgrounds. But it's a very complicated and vexed issue and parents are very divided on face masks. And some schools have gone further than the government. And there's one school, Holmes Chapel School in Cheshire, it's a comprehensive school. It's actually written to parents saying, look, a three pound navy blue face mask is going to be required as part of the school uniform in September. Please, can you make sure your child comes in with one? So head teachers have discretion to require children to wear face masks, not just in communal areas or just in the corridors, but actually in lessons. So I think that will play out in different ways in different parts of the country. I was going to say, because it is quite confused, the idea that it's just in locked down areas. I mean, would that just be places with new restrictions on them where it actually happens and the rest of the country is exempt? I agree with that. I think it's a very confused policy and I suspect we'll see movement on that because most countries that do use face masks in schools and many countries in Asia do, France and Germany does, children have them not just in lockdown areas. You know, this is a the kind of national policy. They have them in schools across the country. Dans les salles de classe de collège et lycée, le port du masque sera obligatoire et ce dès mardi prochain. Guten Abend. Es gilt also eine Maskenpflicht an allen Schulen für das neue Schuljahr, auch im Unterricht. Nur die Kleinen, die Grundschüler. And so I think this policy is confusing. Head teachers are saying that it's confused and they would like clearer guidance on it. Head teachers are also saying to me, who's going to pay for these face masks? Because their budgets are pretty squeezed at the moment. And yeah. is it parents who are going to pay for face masks and send them in with children or our head teachers expected to buy supplies of them. There is one very large academy trust called Oasis, which has about 52 schools, which has actually bought huge supplies of colour-coded face masks for all its pupils and staff. We want each student to keep them for a week and to be responsible for washing them and cleaning them. But each week they will get a new face mask yeah. and the face masks are going to be colour And I think also then if you're a teacher and you're teaching somewhere that isn't using face masks, you think, well, mm, I'm not sure that's fair because I might feel safer in a school that is using face masks. I think it's that inconsistency that's going to be problematic going forward. And with the face masks, I mean, just on a, the cautionary principle, it seems like quite a small thing to introduce, which might just make things a bit safer. What's the argument against? Why would it be a debate? Well, the cost is one factor, but I did a television debate on this about a week ago and they did a poll and more than 70% of people who wrote in said face masks shouldn't be used in schools. This was really? before the U-turn by the government. And all kinds of reasons were given. I was actually sent some pictures on social media of children with rashes around their mouth and nose really? saying that, you know, the face mask was going to irritate their skin. Somebody wrote to me saying it was child abuse. Oh, Wow. So it's quite a divisive issue. But I think the balance, and from what I can see, it looks as though parents are coming round to the idea that, that face masks probably are a good thing in schools. But there is one head teacher I know who runs a very strict school and she thinks face masks in schools is a ridiculous idea and she thinks children are going to use them to ping spit at each other. They will be wearing reused dirty masks. They'll swap them, they'll ping them, they'll lick and spit on each other's masks for a joke. They'll wear them incorrectly. They'll lose them. Catherine Beerbal Singh is the founder and head teacher of the Michaela Community School in North London. When half of your children show up to school and aren't wearing masks, what do you do? Do you exclude them? The girls will be in the loos, checking their masks to make sure they look nice. They'll be touching their faces all the more. 
So even head teachers are not on the same page on this one. And and is there any sense of the effect it might have on pupils? They're already being asked to sort of stay in bubbles and if behind face masks the whole time. Is it disruptive? That was the argument at the beginning that it would make learning more difficult and it would hinder communication between teachers and pupils if both sides were wearing face masks. That argument seems to have been put a little into abeyance now. My own view is that going into this winter, any measure that can be taken that reduces the risk of the spread of the virus and a possible second peak is probably sensible. I think because it's already ingrained into our daily life so much and that you have to wear a mask in shops and um, on public transport, I don't think that there's a problem with it. We'd only be wearing masks for 30 seconds when we're sort of passing in the hallways and it's just to make sure that everyone is safe um, and it's a good thing rather than a bad thing in my eyes. And in some ways you could say that schools are a really good place to teach children responsible use of face masks because over 12s are going to have to wear them in a wide range of places including shops, on public transport, in museums, in cinemas. And we know that when there was first talk about schools reopening before the summer there was quite a bit of reluctance from teachers who were very nervous about going back into work. Are they happier about it now? I think there's still anxiety among some teachers, but there is also, I think, an overwhelming sense among head teachers and teachers that they want schools to open for the sake of the pupils. I think older teachers probably will be more nervous. And I think a lot will depend on the relationship between staff, children, parents and an individual head teacher. I think it's all about trust at the end of the day, where there's a good relationship of trust. I think those schools will open fully and I think the children will go back and the teachers will go back. Recent polling has revealed a real disparity in how prepared teachers are feeling. While one poll of head teachers last week found 97% expected to open fully to all pupils, a previous survey by one of the teaching unions found only a third of its members felt their schools had taken all the measures necessary to make schools safe again. Teachers, of course, aren't the only ones who might be wary about going back to school. I think they're very anxious, some of them still. Um, And it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out this week when the schools open and how many parents will send their children back on the very first day and, and then how many will take a bit longer to be persuaded. I would think by the end of September, hopefully, if everything goes well and there aren't any outbreaks or disasters, I would hope that most parents, if not all parents, would have their kids back in school by the end of the month. And do we have any indicators on whether people do feel like they're ready to send their children back? I think a lot of parents I talk to are are certainly desperate to get them out of the house and back to school. And they can see that their children haven't always enjoyed the experience of being at home for such a long time. Particularly, I think, where parents have been trying to work from home and homeschool their children. That's been really stressful for lots of families. There was a poll done by Parentkind, which is a sort of parents' association, and I was surprised at those results because it said about 55% of parents would send their children back full-time on the first day of school, but quite a high percentage, about a quarter, would not. And I thought that was surprising. I thought the figures for going back full-time on the first day of school would be higher than that. Yeah, I mean, that's very low. Yeah, it's very low. I mean, it was a poll done on social media, I think about 3,300 parents. But yes, I, I thought it was surprising. In fact, I asked John Jolly, the CEO of Parentkind, 
what he thought was behind the results. I think this just reflects parents' real concerns um, around what the school day will look like and the extent to which they're convinced that things like track and trace, hygiene, social distancing has actually been put into, has, has actually been put into effect within the school system. They also asked, of course, about fines and face masks, and the answers were more predictable, I think, on both of those things, especially on, on whether parents should be fined if they don't send their children back. And, of course, three-quarters of parents think, absolutely not, they should not be fined. Is that something that is looking likely? Will parents be fined if they don't send their children back? Theoretically, they can be fined. The government has made clear that going to school is mandatory. It's not a question of choice. And if schools are safe to go back, and the government has said that they are, then parents do need to send their children back. And there is a system for fining parents when children don't attend school. So head teachers can report parents whose children are absent to the local authority, and the local authority can issue penalty fines. It's £60 per child, per parent. Uh, and it rises to £120 if it's not paid uh, within 14 days. Wow. So it'll be interesting to see whether head teachers do find parents. I think many would be very reluctant to. And what about teachers? If they really don't want to go back now, are they being forced to? Would they be fined for not turning up? I think that's a really interesting issue. I mean, I think, again, many head teachers would not want to be penalising older teachers who might have health conditions and don't want to return. But I think technically, if your workplace is safe and you're being required to go back to work, I think, you know, presumably you could be sacked if you persistently don't turn up or you could have your pay docked. I doubt very much whether many head teachers would want to get into that arena. So I, I think everybody will be trying to manage this through compromise and negotiation and trying to work cooperatively. 
presumably there's sort of quite a lot of catching up to do and people will be at very different stages having been off for so long. Yes, I think a, a big thing for schools will be assessing the kind of emotional state of their pupils, how their lives have been during lockdown, whether there's any mental health problems or difficulties that they need to address. But I think a lot of head teachers after that will want to be assessing how much learning have they lost. So there's the possibility of, you know, testing children gently to see how much they've forgotten or haven't learned during the period. And then some catch-up lessons is likely to be arranged for pupils who have missed a lot or who were already perhaps a long way behind their peers. And I think that's going to be interesting because the government has put some money into a national tutoring scheme, some of which will be done online. That's quite a new thing, quite a first. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, I just remember coming back at the end of a long summer and always finding it a little bit difficult at first to adjust and readapt to concentrating and focusing. Will there be sort of behavioural problems and difficulty in being able to just buckle down again and have a routine? Yes, I think that there's a survey coming out which does highlight that as a concern that parents have, that their children have been restless at home, they've been frustrated at home in some cases. There's been some bullying of siblings going on and there are concerns among parents that these behavioural problems will play out when they go back to school, particularly if they're being required to sit at a desk for five hours when they haven't done that for a long time and that there may be more bullying in schools or more bad behaviour. But what about a plan B? Last week, the government set out new guidance for schools, which included plans for groups of students to be kept home in the event of an outbreak among pupils. So there's a sort of general plan B, which hasn't been talked about very much. There's a virtual school, an online school called Oak National Academy, mm. which was set up by about 80 teachers at the start of the lockdown in March. And they delivered online lessons, which any school could use free of charge. The government gave them £3 million this summer to produce 10,000 lessons, which are going to go up online this week. They cover the whole of the national curriculum, primary and secondary, and schools can use those free of charge. So if there is another lockdown, schools will be able to use these lessons. So that's part of Plan B. But then I think individual schools as well, for instance, the Oasis Trust, which has about 52 schools in its trust, the CEO there, Steve Chalk, has bought laptops for all the pupils. And so if there is a lockdown, every pupil will have a laptop to go home and will be able to access the online lessons. There may be another second wave. Yeah. So we don't want to be taken by surprise. So we're ready to rotor. We're ready to stagger days. We're ready to do a morning shift, an afternoon shift, a week on, a week off, um, you know, Mondays in, Tuesdays at home. So there are preparations being made. I think he's also making preparations for having people in on a one week on, one week off basis with them learning at home the rest of the time. But I think this whole question of will children be able to learn remotely is one that hasn't been fully addressed across the country because there are still very, very many families that don't have the technology, they don't have the broadband and they don't have the laptops to enable their children to learn from home. You know, the last few weeks, whether it's exam chaos or the return to school, has been very much in the public eye and the political eye too. Is this a week of pressure, not only for, for pupils and teachers to go back and prove that everything can work perfectly, but really for Gavin Williamson to show that he's managed to pull something off? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been reports that if Gavin Williamson doesn't get children back to school this week, he will be out of a job. Really? Certainly there were calls for him to resign over the A-level grading fiasco, uh, and he has survived to date. But this is really a huge test for him. And it's a test not just for the COVID generation, it's a test for the entire country, because if they don't get schools open and children back, then parents can't go back to work. And what does that do to the economy? So it is a massive test. And for you, Sean, I mean, you've covered the education beat for years. This has clearly been an extraordinary time in many ways and for many people. But what's most surprised you about the way education has played out uh, against the COVID era? I think in terms of the dedication of, of some of the head teachers that I've been reporting on, I think that has been very impressive to see the way that they have kept their schools open for key workers, children, vulnerable children. But not only have they done that, the schools have really been a fourth emergency service in some of the disadvantaged communities in England, running food parcels to families, organising laptop deliveries, phoning families every single day, the families of children who are not in school, about whom they have concerns, um, to make sure that they're all right. I found that hugely impressive and that has been going on and it hasn't been very widely reported but you know in places like Blackpool or West Sussex or Norfolk it's been going on right across England and teachers and head teachers sometimes get a bad press but the ones that I know have pretty much given up their summer holidays have pretty much given up all their time since this started at the end of March to make sure that their kids are okay and they are doing their best to get their kids back this week and I think they probably deserve more credit than they have been given. I mean, I think a clap for teachers and head teachers at the end of this month would be a very good thing, a very welcome thing, just as there was for the NHS workers. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Sunday Times Education and Families editor, Sean Griffiths. You can read more of Sean's work via a digital subscription to The Times at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. Thanks also to Steve Chalk, the founder of the Oasis Charitable Trust, John Jolly of Parentkind, the pupils of Brighton College, West London Free School head teacher Claire Wagner, and, of course, our playground correspondent, Ashling Patella, who, at the age of four, almost five, starts school next week. Now can I go? The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rawfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you have a minute, please do leave us a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify... Acast, and now we're also available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.